Amen. Well, if, if I could sum up the whole series in one phrase, and I've said this several times, if I could sum up the whole series, and the series is called Me to We, if I could sum it all up in one phrase, it's this, we are better together. And not only are we better together, that we honestly, we need each other. Um, you're going to see that as we jump into the Word here in just a moment. If you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians 12. If you don't have a Bible, um, I would love it if you would just open uh, one up, and there's actually some spread throughout the room. I want you to take God's Word for it, not just my Word for it, um, and not just my opinion, but whatever uh, God's opinion is through His Word, and that hopefully will win uh, the day today. But we're going to see today, and, and, and there's going to be like some mixed metaphors that I use, and a guy by the name of Paul uses right from 1 Corinthians 12, and um, we're going to really jump in like shoulder deep into that in just a minute. But for us to become better together, we have to understand what actually brings us together. I mean, if I were to go in here today and I would say out of the four teams that are playing, like nobody's going to root for the Patriots, right? Nobody? 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 Anyone? Anyone? Bueller, no, no, okay, that's gone. Like, nobody's rooting for those, so, so they're, they're not representative here. But if I were to say, hey, who's rooting for the Falcons today? You may not even, yeah, okay, we've got a few. Thank you for being honest. And, and, and some of you are like, what's football? I get that too, and that's cool. But it's, it's, this is an important time of year. Your Atlanta Falcons are in the championship game to go to the big dance, to go to the big ticket, to go to the Super Bowl. You should, thank you. You should care. At least today, you should care right? Uh, next, like later on today, we'll see if you should care anymore this year, but you should care. But, but if all that united us was football, that would be kind of weak. If all that united us was our skin color, that would be kind of weak. If all that united us was our gender, that would be kind of weak. If all that united us was our generation, that would be kind of weak. I believe in Scripture clearly teaches us we're better together that we need a conglomeration as a fellowship of difference, as a fellowship of difference, that we need people who look and think and believe even a little differently than us. We need those people in our lives. We need those if we're truly going to go from me to we. But I believe, and hopefully you're starting to believe, that we're actually better together. Now, a couple quotes that I ran through, and this is just one of these, just really wrecked me. Um, in particular, I'll get it to it. It's the second one. A theologian by the name of D.A. Carson said this. He said, the church is not made up of natural friends. What brings us together is not common education, common income levels, common political affiliations. Amen. We've got some division in there probably right in the house today. Common nationality and common language. He says, what brings the church together is not those things. As a matter of fact, as he continues, he says, and, and I think he's right, that the church were a natural band, or they were a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's who the church is. We're not brought together because we went to Georgia Tech or we went to Georgia Southern or I stayed home and I went to local college or I was born in the north or the south or I'm, I'm from Dublin or whatever the case may be, whatever your story is, it's not those things. I said that really weak. I'm sorry, I wasn't picking on you. It's like, I'm from Taylorville, that's me, all right? So now we're even. It's like, what bonds us is not those things. And when I believe he's right, he says we have to understand that if somebody is a follower of Jesus today, and I realize not everybody in the house is, okay, but if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have to understand that you at one point in your life were a natural enemy of everyone. Not just people who look different than you, believe different than you, 
or think differently than you. You, at one point in your life, you are a natural enemy. You could not love others. But because of the grace of God, because a Christian believes that, that Jesus died for their sins and he rose, proving that he was the God-man and that you've given your life to him, not just in some little way saying, oh, Jesus, open the eyes of my heart, that whole thing. It's like, no, so much more than that. That, my, that was weak, sorry. That my life was bankrupt before Almighty God. I had nothing to offer God. I went to God just begging and pleading. I went to him just begging for a crumb off his table, but instead he gave, he gives Christians new life, abundant life, and they become, according to 2 Corinthians, a new creation. So part of being a new creation is a new idea identity and somebody a new family amen that is us that is the church that is christians if you're not a christian i get you probably don't understand all that you're you're going to really get something to the back end of this message just listen if you would please but if you're a christian you have to understand you were a natural enemy of people but now you are compelled, you're called, you're commanded, the Bible says, to love people for Jesus' sake. Not for your sake, and not for their sake, but for Jesus' sake. As he said, our first and second greatest commandments were to love him and to love others. Now, part of this, I think if, if we start to really kind of allow this to, to maybe take root, maybe start to believe that just a little bit, that what binds us is not just uh, just the common education of those things that, that Carson had said, but, but if we understand that the gospel compels us, that we were empty, void, bankrupt before Almighty God, and now we become, we can become so much more in Him, and now we have a family, and we're going to see Paul, the Apostle Paul calls us a body, that we work together. If, if all of those things are true, why wouldn't this be true? That we are to be the most loving and inclusive community on planet Earth. Shouldn't that be what they say about the church? Not just our church, absolutely our church, but, but every church. Shouldn't it be that, that way? If every church, and by, by church, I mean those who have committed their lives to Jesus, not those who just come on Sunday mornings and know when to amen at the right time and know where to sit and, and, can, you know, and have found their Bible, right? I'm talking about people who have given their life to Jesus. Like, if that's true, and, and if we're at the church, shouldn't uh, we be the most loving and the most inclusive community on planet Earth? Shouldn't we? I, I want you to just kind of ponder this question. How can we have and maintain relationships with those not like us? If there was kind of a big idea for this, this whole talk, it's how, how can we have and maintain relationships with those not like us? How is that possible? But, because I'm, we're about to get real, I, I want to ask you this question, and then I'm going to give you four different alternatives. Maybe none of these are, all, are, are your life, but, but I just want you to kind of, before you just cast it away and say, no, that's not me, I just want you to kind of allow this to process a little while longer to see if maybe this is you. And the question is this, which one of these defines your relationships now? Which one of these defines your relationships now? The first one, um, they all begin with D. So if you like alliteration, your lucky day. First one is this, differences, differences. 
How do you handle differences with others? How do you handle it when somebody doesn't think, believe, or look the same way that you do? How do you handle those differences? Do those differences get in the way of a relationship with other people and say, you know what, I just don't get you, you don't get me. How do you handle those differences? And we all have differences, but how do you handle those? What's one of, does that define your relationships now? There's just differences. I just can't get over the differences I have. I automatically think that I'm right, and, I, and because you don't think what I do, I automatically think you're what? Wrong, and that's what it's like when you live a life and your relationships are defined by differences. It's like as long as you're on my team, we're good, but if you're on the other team, you're wrong, and, and if you live in a world of differences, if this defines your relationships, then you always have to try and compel other people to agree with you because you're so convinced that you're right and you have nothing to learn. Differences. Does that define your relationships now? How, how can you get over those differences when you see and you experience differences with other people, what does it well up in you? What do you feel and what do you do according to those differences? The second one is disputes, again, with the Ds. I don't make a habit of this, but it just came out this way. How do you handle disputes with other people? Do you automatically align yourself with being right and then being wrong, so therefore you can't learn anything? And you never make that step forward. You see, I think this is so true politically because if you are a Republican or Democrat, if we're really honest, your both parts are a little bit right. They're a little bit right. There's a little good in both of them and there's a little not good in both of them. And, and this isn't even a political thing, but it certainly speaks into this. It's the disputes, it's the things that we're so tempted to be divided by. Which one of these defines your relationships now? Is it differences? Is it the disputes? It's like what, you have no close relationships because all you do is you argue and you argue and argue and you always have to get the last word and you always assume that you're right. And because of that, it's just, it's just dispute after dispute after dispute. And if this defines your relationships, this will seep its way into your marriage. This will seep in its way. This could be the reason why your kids don't talk to you anymore. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm trying to be real to you. This could be the reason why your kids don't talk to you anymore. This could be the reason why people at work don't talk to you anymore. This could be the reason why you have no one to share life with. It could be right here. In the early church, there was a huge dispute that happened. And it wasn't in a way, honestly, that even bothers most church folks today. In the early church, this is like, this is like the early, early, early church. A big issue was happening. The, the leaders in the church, they were going out and preaching the gospel, and people were getting saved, and just amazing things were happening. People were just being free from the bondage, bondage of sin and shame, and just the freedom in Christ was being had. But at the same time, all of that, they were like rock stars in that way. They were like nailing them. It's like awesome, They're like changing people's lives. And yet there was a bunch of widows being neglected. So while the church was gathering in the holy huddle and be like, amen, and woo, I'm going to do this, and we're doing that, and we're getting together. Let's sing Amazing Grace, all four verses, even the ones you've never heard, right? Like, let's sing all of those. And now, and then in the midst of this, while all of these things that were inherently good, there was a neglect of widows, which they were all supposed, also supposed to be doing. And what's even worse is this became a racial issue because the widows who were being neglected were Greek, and the leadership at that time were Jewish. 
So now it's a racial thing, and they're like, hey, we got a problem. Some of the Greek widows are being neglected. They're being neglected. We, we've got to do something. And they did do something. They did. This is what they did. This is in Acts 6, 5. They appointed men by the name of Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, all who were Greek. So they, they saw a problem and leadership is like, well, we've been doing our thing and that's, that's fine. We've got to do this. But now we didn't even realize that there was a whole system that was actually working against us. So I know what we'll do. We're actually going to create another layer of leadership in the church and they're going to be all Greek. So therefore, none of the Greek widows get neglected again because now they have somebody advocating for them. We can go preach the gospel and make sure that the care of the church has been had. This could have been something that would have been like north and south in our country or east and west. This could have been a total separation in their day. This could have divided the church right from the beginning. But the leadership did some things and they did them right. They recognized that there was a problem. They owned the problem. They didn't blame someone. They took responsibility for it and they created a system where that problem would not happen again. Wow. There's some things for us to apply right there when it comes to disputes. Be teachable. Be a learner. Don't assume you're right. Step back away from the system and, and evaluate it and make the changes necessary. Wow. That changed somebody's life. Disputes. These kind of grow. The next one is division. Division. This is... It's kind of taking the first two, and now it's just gotten a little bit worse. And a, a, a person whose life and the relationships are defined by division is they have no close friends. They burn all those bridges. They, they burnt those bridges, and, and, and now they're just, they're all by themselves. And it's because everybody has removed themselves from the person because of the division and because of the disputes and because the differences are like we could never get past the differences. We always were making the, these disputes. So what we're going to do is we're going to eliminate ourselves from relationship with them. Division. Separating. Being cynical. Being cynical is divisive. Being sarcastic is divisive. It is something I've had to overcome. I mean, I thought that was like my natural gift growing up. It was like so much sarcasm. It's like when I went to school and, I, and it was kind of weird because I, I would be sarcastic like I was kind of raised to be at home. And then when I'd go to school and they didn't think that I was near as funny as what I thought I was being funny. Got me in all sorts of trouble. And the reality is this, that is divisive. That, in, that the core of that is being divisive, being cynical is divisive. It's pushing yourself away from someone else, assuming you have a greater intellect or you're just a greater person because your skin color, because you know something, or because your mom or daddy. That's what that is, and it's divisive. We can never go from me to we as a church if we do those things. Instead, I, I hope maybe the thing that, that defines your relationships is diversity. And really, that's what this whole text is going to be about. Is it diversity? Uh, do you actually have close relationships with, with people who don't think like you do? Do you actually have close relationships with people who are a different generation than you? Do you actually have relationships with people who don't look like you do? When is the last time you've opened up your home to someone who doesn't look like you? 
Really, those are the real definitions of, of what really defines your relationships, isn't it? It's who you really allow to go through the doors of your home and into the doors of your life. Diversity, so differences, disputes, division, and diversity. The text today, 1 Corinthians 12, we're about there. I'll give you a little bit of the, the purpose of the writing of the book, but then also the immediate context and why this message lands um, within this context. This book of the Bible is, is honestly one of the most troubled books of the Bible. The church was all sorts of jacked up. The church, there was like, there were people, there was sin in the church and outside the church, and they, they were trying to find out what it means to be in free in Christ. So they had received spiritual gifts. Christians believe that once you commit your life to Christ, the, the Bible teaches that, you, that every Christian gets at least one spiritual gift. So in the midst of this, they had their one spiritual gift, and everybody wanted to use it all the time. Like right now, I want to use it. I got this thing right now. And so it was creating issues in the church and the church was like, okay, now uh, the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He says, all right, you've got these gifts. That's awesome. Now I'm going to teach you how to use them. We're going to maintain some order in the worship service. It's not going to be chaos. We're not going to make ourselves look like uh, the people who are far from God outside of the, the church gathering. So we want us to, to be a different group, even a fellowship of difference. So he writes this. That's the purpose and the immediate context. Now, the reason why I, I draw this out is this conversation really could be had just of spiritual gifts. But I think what we see here and the three takeaways we see here right in this passage are actually a, even a, a, a truth that's not just glued to spiritual gifts, but honestly, all of relationships. And you're going to see why. Starting in verse 12. We're going to read uh, verse 12 through 17 first. The body, this is talking about the church. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is made up of now the body is not made up of one part but of many. If the foot should say because I'm not a hand I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I do not belong to the body it would not be for that reason uh, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul is using this metaphor of our body in something we totally understand. Like if you were blind for a day, the only thing you could think about is your blindness. You're like, I used to be able to see and now I can't. And Paul says each part of the body, in this metaphor of, of people who've committed their life to Christ it being a body, the church, he says, we're like a body. There are many parts, but we're to operate as one. There are many parts. We're a fellowship of difference. We have different gifts, different beliefs. Some are thinkers, some are feelers, some are older, some are younger, some are millennials, some are boomers, some are busters, some are Gen Xers, some are whatever the other generation is that's coming up. Like We are a fellowship of difference, and each one is beautiful. Each one is needed within the body. And then he, he gets into right here, in this passage where he's talking about the body as a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are one, they form one body. So 
with all of this diversity, how do we maintain some unity? How do we do that? If we're supposed to be one, how do we still maintain diversity? Because at no point in this passage did he say, everybody needs to be a toe. Everybody needs to be a left thumb. Everybody, left thumb in it. That's all we're doing today. No more opposable thumbs. You only have one. What are you going to do? He didn't say that, did he? He said that we're a body. He said that if, if you don't have uh, the same skill set as the nose, to, you know, the ear doesn't have the same skill set as the nose or vice versa, he's like, you can't sit back and say, well, I don't need that. He says, you definitely need that. You're supposed to do your part. So how do we maintain unity with all of this diversity? The first takeaway I get right from this passage is we must tolerate diversity. Tolerate diversity. Our natural tendency is to be provoked by others when they don't share our same ideas and convictions. That's our natural tendency. That's the flesh tendency. If you don't agree with me, then I need to try and convince you to agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I'm done with you. That is, by definition, intolerance. There's this word of tolerance and tolerate, and I kind of drew uh, kind of the same meaning from tolerate and tolerance and yet in the world today, there's, they throw these words around, and it's almost like a bully's club. And they say, well, if you don't think exactly what we think, if you don't understand exactly what we understand, if you don't feel exactly what we feel, and if you don't believe everything that we believe, then you're being intolerant. And then it's like a bully's club over us. I, I, I'm not going to speak into that. You can draw your own conclusions there. But I will speak into this, that we must tolerate diversity. Colossians 3, verse 13 says this. This is the biblical definition of tolerance, by the way. This is the biblical definition of tolerance. Parents, give your kids this bit of information. Parents, give your students this bit of information. Colossians 3, 13 says, bear with each other. This can also be translated, put up with one another. Put up with one another. Man, isn't that hard? Like, how do I do that? How do I put up with people who just don't think like me and believe like me and look like me? Because I tend to think that I'm right. Like, all the time. Like, how do I do that? Biblical tolerance says that we have to bear with each other. We have to put up with each other. We understand that your perspective is different than mine. And my perspective is different than yours. Our, our skin color may be different. Your background may be different. You may be a thinker. You may be a feeler. You may be an introvert. You may be an extrovert. But I don't need you to be like me. I just need you to be you. And I'm going to bear with the differences. I'm just going to bear with the differences. But it's not only that. What does it also say right in the middle of this passage? We need to forgive any complaint. You know what this means. This means that now you can't go through and say, you know what, I just don't agree with them because they did that to me. Well, yeah, you just don't know what my boss does to me. You don't know what the, my ex-wife or ex-husband did to me. She's the reason why I'm, he's the reason why I'm. Oh, it's my kids. My kids got a touch of the cray. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's what I'm blaming this on. My kids just got a touch of the cray. That's the reason. That's the reason. That's your complaint. No, 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 no. See, if we're going to tolerate one another biblically, 
We bear with each other, but also we have to forgive any complaint. Forgive any complaint. I'm not, I'm not nullifying what, what somebody's done to you. I'm not nullifying the way you feel by, by what people do to you. That's not, that, that's not being insensitive to those things at all. How can we do it? Well, the answer's right here at the back end of this. It says, forgive any complaint that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wow. Like that just reached right into my story. What about yours? So, so now the measure, so the reason why I, I can't just go through and complain about the way you make me feel and what you did to me and what you did to me and what she did to me and what my coach did to me, what my dad did to me, my mom did to me. Now I can't go through and do those things. Now I have to view it from the perspective is what did I do to Christ? What did I do to Christ? And what has he forgiven me for? Whoa. Whoa, you see, all of a sudden, this becomes, this becomes the launching point for compassion. This becomes, and if you, some of you struggle with compassion and empathy, this is the beginning of that. You see, when, when you go through and you have to bear with each other, and you have to put up with one another, and you have to forgive any complaint, maybe you can underline any in your Bible, any complaint, you forgive any complaint and so that, that you may have against one another, you have to forgive as the Lord forgave you. You have to forgive because you've been forgiven. Because the same thing that you're saying, oh, you did that to me and you made me feel that way, you've also done those same things to Christ. Ooh. Whoa. So we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We, we can become compassionate for other people's needs. We can become empathetic for other people's needs because we know that there was a point in our life where we were just filthy beggars asking for the Savior's food. Pardon the metaphor. That's the reason why we can be compassionate with those in need. That's the reason why we can tolerate diversity with people who don't look like us, don't, don't think like us, who don't even believe everything we believe. The reason why. And we can still move on is because we can forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. And, and man, how in the world do we do this? Only through the gospel of Jesus. It's the only way we can do this. You can't self-help this one. You'll fail. You'll fail. I love what John Wesley said. He said, in the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. He says, so in the essentials, unity. Man, the essentials. Non-essentials, liberty. Man, we're, we're going we're gonna to agree to disagree. We're going to put up with one another's you know, thinks and th- th- the things we think about and all that. We're just going to put up with that. That's fine. But in all things, we're going to show the love of Jesus. You also see another example of this in verse 25 of this passage. We're going to get to it in a minute. First Corinthians twelve twenty-five says this, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there will be no division in the body. No division in the body. That's the reason why he gave everyone just a little different flavor. That's the reason why everybody looks a little different. That's the reason why you think a little bit different. That's the reason why you necessarily maybe even believe a little bit different is because you have something to add to the body. And even in the midst of that diversity, that there's to be no division, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Whoa. Wow. You want to start changing the world? You want to start changing your kids? You want to start 
helping to see change in your spouse? You want to see change in your boss? Show a concern for them, not just yourself. Man, see some things change in your life. Back to our passage, verse 18 through 25. But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there shall be no division in the body, this is the verse I just read, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. So not only do we have to tolerate diversity, we also have to cooperate through diversity. We have to cooperate through diversity. Second main big idea from this passage, we have to cooperate through diversity. And and this, what I mean is this, not only do we have to to start the process of, of hearing somebody else's stories who don't necessarily believe exactly what we believe and think exactly what we think and look exactly like we look, Not only do we have to hear their stories, we have to open up our lives to them. Now, I have a a dog. Her name is Bella. She is, uh, she's super loving. A little bit overweight. We're working on that. Great dog. Great dog. Super friendly. She has never met a hand that she didn't want to pet her. Like, that is just her. That's her demeanor. She wants two things. She wants petted and she wants fed. And she wants really fed more than anything else. And, and so she looks for any opportunity to eat anything, even if she shouldn't eat it, right? So that's Bella. And, and us as a family, we just consider it in these days a rare treasure to sit around our dinner table. And we've always been dinner table people. Uh, and that, we just love that. And it, it's become harder. Kids get older and those times are strained. So we're not 100% at it, but we're working on it. And when we get together as a family, like we'll sit down there and do what you do, tell stories and, you know, just joke and talk about each other's days. Well, in the midst of those, Bella is always waiting somewhere under the table, always. Now, we don't feed her. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not taking bacon off my table. and be like, come here, some bacon. No, bacon's too valuable in our house. We don't give anything off the table to Bella, right? Certainly not bacon because we don't eat bad bacon. We eat the good bacon. And so, so I don't. I don't give her, none of us give her scraps off the table, but she is absolutely happy with when we're eating. We're kind of like, we're digging into it. Sometimes, you know, we're Zooks, got some Italian in us. We kind of, we get into our food a little bit. Sometimes we kind of bump food off the table. Well, Bella goes dog ninja when there's food that falls off the table. She will jump almost like invisible and she will just like jump and she'll grab that food and she'll sit there and just so eager like do it again, do it again, do it again, you know, and that's her story. She's she's so happy to just be eating crumbs off the table, but we should never be happy with just giving people just the crumbs of our life. We should never be happy with just giving people the crumbs of our life and say, oh, you know what? You look different than me, so you're, you're a little poor. You're kind of, you're needing a little bit. I'm going to throw you a little money. That's a crumb, not your heart. That's a crumb. That's a, 
I got a little extra. Here you go. Here you go. And forget about you. Don't forget about me. Here's a crumb. Uh, see, we're just people need more than a crumb from our table. They don't just need the leftovers. Say, yeah, I feel bad, so I want to do this. Or, oh, the pastor made me feel bad, so I'm going to do this. People don't just need a crumb from your table and just a crumb of your time and a crumb of your money. They need a seat at your table. They need a seat at your table. You need to have people of diversity so close to you, not that you just throw crumbs at them to make yourself feel better or to try and get rid of some guilt. You should, as as a body, as Christians, we should, as a body, just appreciate the diversity, cooperate through diversity, and be so transparent with our life to not only just throw crumbs and just say, oh, I'm just going to give money to this cause, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to spend a little time here, make myself feel better. But we have to give people a seat at our table. You want to change the world? Students, 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 you want to change the world? Start seeing the world differently than the the way you see it right now. Open your eyes to people who are around you. I'm with you. I want to see the world changed. It's not going to be by by us getting in little holy huddles and just being okay with just throwing a couple crumbs at social justice causes. The way we're going to change the world is to have people so close to our life that their life becomes our life. That we start to, even in a small way, to start to say, I can't even imagine living my life without you in it. I am so thankful that you think differently than me because you just allowed me to experience life in a different way. You've just allowed me this perspective that I never had. I'm cooperating through diversity when I do that. But we can't just be satisfied with just just crumbs off the table, a little money to a cause, a little time to a cause. We have to have that diversity so close to us. We need to have them in our life. Open up the, the doors of your home. Allow them pull out the best seat at your table and say, sit here. Do life with us. You start to realize that there's a lot bigger world than just the way you think the skin color you have, or maybe even some narrow belief. We cooperate through diversity. We have to tolerate diversity. We have to. If we're to be the most inclusive group on the planet. Lastly, verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I love the last part of that verse. Every part rejoices with it. We can celebrate diversity. So, so not only just tolerate and be like, oh, you think differently than me. Not only are we supposed to to work together and serve together and be together and to love one another for Jesus' sake, but now we must celebrate diversity. We have to, to look at other people in the body and say, oh, I am so glad you are in my life. And all of a sudden you're celebrating the uniqueness of their being for an opportunity for them to celebrate yours. One of the things I said at the 915, and, 
and, and it just kind of came out, and I think this is true. I, I think for us as a church, that I think for us, we have to be a, a place of unity, not uniformity. Of unity, not uniformity. And what's really, really scary to me, listen to me, what's really, really scary to me is to think that the leadership of this church in Dublin, Georgia, there's diversity within 100 yards of where you're sitting. With, within Dublin, Georgia, it should scare us to death that this church would become one, that would become a church that is only led by old white men. That should scare us. Because we would be the opposite of diverse. We would be saying, you know what? It's not about unity in our community. It's not about unity um, with our diversity. No, no, no. We love us. Go love yourself. That should scare us to death, that we, that we could become that in Dublin, Georgia. So, unity, not uniformity. I thought of what could be the most gross way to illustrate that this morning. Right from this passage about celebrating diversity. And this idea is, is not new. Uh, it's not my idea. Um, I've never seen this done. Um, has anyone ever heard of Gallagher? You're about to experience some of that. I feel bad for you in the first couple rows. Um, just kidding. I'm not throwing food today. That's what he did. Exactly. None of that up here today. Always next week, though. What you see up here, you see two salad bowls. Now, in this, this salad bowl, there's, there's diversity of color. There's diversity of the types of lettuce in each of them. It's the same kind of batch that's been spread throughout. Um, it's different types of leaves, and I can't even pretend to tell you what they all are, but I know it said mixed green, so I'm assuming the, the package was right. So uh, this, is, this is all mixed up. And, and both of these, honestly, could be what the church becomes. Both of these are a possibility, and you're going to see this in just a moment. You see, for us, we, as a church, this, these, all of these condiments that go in a salad, they kind, of, they kind of resemble you. Some of them do. You've got these things right here, little, little peppers, the bright, colorful. Some of you have bright personalities just bright, colorful, like so, I'm like extrovert, like you're, you're, you can't wait to talk again kind of thing. Like you're just so, like so into that, um, into, into talking, and you're an extrovert, love to be around people. Some of us are that way. Um, then others, it's like, you know, we're just a, a little different. It, it kind of, we, we don't mind talking sometimes, but sometimes we just don't want to talk, like we're good by ourselves, you know. So we kind of have some, some red peppers for that, and both of these could be the church, and we have these things. I have no idea what these are, but they're colorful, so this is you. Um, and uh, and I, I don't know what these things are, and they're kind of weird texture-wise. Um, you can try one later if you want. So there's that. Um, both of these could be us. These tomatoes are kind of round. Some of us are too. So um, true story. I love you, just so you know. Um, it's true. So there you go. Uh, there you go. Love Southern cooking. We're a little plump at times, so 
We got that. This one's just this one's a little, just got a little spice to it. Not bad. Just got a little spice to it. Um, but but some of us are a little bit a little bit spicier personality. It's like we're kind of bubbly and that kind of person. We have this person over here. These are a little bit more spicy, I think. I was told that anyway. A little bit more spicy. Some of us have a little spice in our life, and it's like, man, you're always looking for the next adventure. Spicy. Um, all of that, and that's, we're rocking on. Can't get that off my finger. Radishes. I don't know what these represent, but they're colorful, so we're putting them in there because you're colorful. Um, I'm sorry if you like radishes. So, so you have, I mean, this is a great picture. I think both of these could be a great picture of the church, and you get around, it's like you just kind of all work together. Like, this is the church, baby. This is what we do. We all work together. Each man overboard. Here we go. Um, so it's, it's probably going to get worse. It did during the 915. So it's like we're, they're all in here, but we're all together. It's a fellowship of difference. Each one is unique and oh, just beautiful. This one's no different um, right now. And, and this is, got another one, got a flyer. It's going to be more. Sorry. It's a mess. Um, sorry. Uh, I'll clean it up if I have to. Um, so, you know, it's like it's beautiful. It's all turned up. Everybody, it's like we're all together and everything's great. And, and, and if the church has unity, it's kind of like this. It's like, man, we're just, I can't even open this thing now. It's like we have a unity in the Holy Spirit. It's just like, bam, 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 bam. This might be the worst illustration for the Holy Spirit. I apologize, Lord. So there's, there's this, and it's like it goes in here, and this thing here just accentuates the flavors of everything else. It's beautiful. It's just, it, it's like if you taste this, you can still taste the radish. It just, wow, it just draws a flavor out more, and this is just awesome, and that's just a beautiful picture of unity. And then we have this one over here, and this is what a church looks like when, when everybody looks the same and everybody is the same, and everybody thinks the same, and, and everybody honestly has no difference of belief. We're going to get every last drop of this mess in here. Oh, yeah. And some of us, some of us have this kind of mentality that this is what the church is, and yet the problem is this. If you have uh, the one on your right, on my left, this, the flavors, and God's Holy Spirit, it's like empowers believers. Everybody's different, but everybody's got this, this common bond, and God is, is sovereign, bringing us all together. And if we're over here, you see, this over here is just an absolute mess, because it doesn't matter what you taste, only thing you are going to actually, it doesn't matter what you grab, the only thing you're going to taste is ranch. Some of you are like, I love ranch. <laughs> yeah. It looks gross from here, I'm just letting you know. You see, in the church, hello, the church is beautiful as the church is. We're to have a place of unity where we can celebrate the diversity of each and every one of us. Understanding that we're all a body. Sorry for all the mixed metaphors. That we're a body, as Paul says. And that I need you and you need me. That I'm not superior to you and you are not superior to me. I should have equal concern for you because of the love that Jesus showed me and he gave me. And now I want to extend that to you. But if we're over here, this is a church that becomes a think tank. This is a church that is a holy huddle. This is the church that only has what they have and all they want is what they believe and people who look like them and who think like them. This church is stuck. This church has no influence in the world. 
This church destroys the love of Jesus. This one celebrates the diversity that Jesus has. So I want to give you a couple takeaways as I clean up my mess. That's bad. A couple takeaways. First one is this. Think the best of people even before you have proof. Think the best of people even before you have proof. Wow, you want to change somebody's world? You want to change somebody's world? You want to change your marriage? You want to change the directory, or excuse me, the, the direction of your kids' lives? Take this to heart. Apply this to every relationship. Think the best of people even before you have proof. Second one is this. Don't generalize. Don't generalize. When you generalize somebody and say, well, white people always do this, black people always do this, poor people always do this, and white people always do this, and Democrats always do this, and Republicans always do this, and these people always do this, and Northsiders do this, and Southsiders do that, what you're doing is you are devaluing the worth that God is giving them, and you are actually making them in your own image and not celebrating them as being made in God's image. Don't generalize. Don't try and whitewash someone and just try and erode all of the the worth that God has given them. Because when you do that, your influence is quenched. Just like that. Don't generalize. Well, they always do this and they always do that. My kids always do this. My mom always does that. My dad is so predictable, he always does that. You shut yourself off relationally when you do it. Another one is this. Assume everyone is important and your perspective is limited. Assume everyone is important and your perspective is limited. Because if we're the body of Christ and you're a a follower of Jesus, that means that you are important. We celebrate that. We want to celebrate that. Another one is this. Accept people for who they are and not what they can do for you. Accept people for who they are and not what they can do for you. You want to change somebody's world? Start doing some of that. You want to change the world? Start doing some of that. You want to see some racial healing in our community? Start doing some of that. You want to start to see some healing in our nation? Start doing some of that. And I think the last one's the most important. Always be willing to lay down your preferences for opportunities to share Christ. Always be willing to lay down your preferences for opportunities to share Christ. See, because when we do this, when, when we get this right, automatically, just like that, automatically, the church not only is the most loving community, not only is the church the most loving and inclusive community on planet Earth, then it becomes just a place of invitation for those who don't necessarily already believe what we believe or look the way we look or even think like we think. Then, when we can lay aside those, we can have opportunity to share Christ with others. You want to change the world? Take your relationships from me to we. Let's pray.
Father, you are better than my words can describe. I thank you for bringing us here together. I thank you for the diversity that the gospel brings. I thank you, Lord, that no person is better than the other. We're all beggars needing scraps from your table, the table that provides life, spiritual nourishment. I thank you, Jesus, that not only you know that we need those things, but yet you say, sit at my table. Welcome to my family. Be full. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.